0: Friends, good morning. Great to see you today. Thank you for praying, Brian. Thank you also for preaching for me last Sunday. uh, Christy and I were away celebrating our our anniversary. Uh, I want to invite you uh, to open your copy of God's Word to Revelation chapter 15. We've been in our study now for almost exactly one year. And here we are in chapter 15, and Lord willing, we'll finish this chapter uh, this morning. Again, uh, this is probably a little different look at Revelation than the one you perhaps grew up hearing. Uh, If you grew up in a church in the United States, our approach has been a little bit different. Uh, Most see it as one long timeline of events from uh, the time of Christ to uh, after Christ's return. Actually, we've taken the approach that uh, John describes the seven period of time, the, the first coming and second coming of Christ, and he describes that same period of time seven times. And so John's going through a series of cycles you could think of, and we begin a new cycle uh, this morning. I'll explain that in just a few minutes. But here we are in chapter 15 uh, the important thing is uh, not necessarily that we see eyeball to eyeball on uh, exactly how John wrote this. What we must not compromise is the fact, and this is uh, something that we would part company over, we must agree that Jesus Christ is coming physically in power and in great glory. That is without Uh, a doubt, something we must agree on, however you see the other events unfold in Revelation. Uh, So if you're in uh, Revelation chapter 15, uh, let's begin uh, reading at verse 1, and we will read the entire chapter uh, this morning. So hear the word of the Lord, reading from the ESV. God's word says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast in its image and the number of its names, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations." Who will, not fear you? Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? <coughs> for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one can enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. This is the word of the Lord, his authoritative, inspired, and inerrant word. Let's pray for his help as we look into this chapter this morning father we do again now plead for your mercy and grace we pray that your spirit would quicken us now i pray that you would quicken me uh with your spirit to preach clearly think clearly and communicate your word your truth to your body of people father give us hearts and ears that are open to the truth father i pray that you would uh, should anyone here today uh not know Christ your Son as their Savior and Lord, that you would soften their hearts to hear and receive the truth of what your word says today. And Savior, we cast ourselves on your mercy, pray that you would do this work in and among us, feed us Christ Jesus with your truth today. We pray in your name. Amen. On September 21st, 1938, a resident of Long Island, New York, received a barometer in the mail. Uh, He had purchased this a few days earlier at a store in New York City. And after unpacking his purchase, he was greatly annoyed to find the needle of his barometer stuck. It was stuck below 29, which is the portion on the barometer that said hurricanes and tornadoes. And so frustrated, he shook his new barometer. He banged it against the wall but the needle would not budge. And Convinced that he now had purchased a defective product, he repackaged it, drove to the post office, and mailed it back to the store. He returned to his home to find that it had been blown away by the great New England hurricane of 1938. the most destructive hurricane ever to reach landfall in the recorded history of New England. Well, there's another kind of storm brewing. A different kind of storm is looming on the horizons of the horizon. But unlike this uh, great New England hurricane of 1938, this other storm comes with plenty of warning. Uh, Both the storm and the warnings are described for us in the book of Revelation. But like the man from Long Island, many have ignored these warnings time and time and again. So, how does God deal with hearts that ignore his frequent warnings? How does God deal with those that ignore the warnings of his coming judgment? How does he deal with hearts like Pharaoh's, for example? You recall in the book of Exodus, after repeated warnings uh, from God, still refused to repent and allow Israel to leave. How does God deal with hardened hearts? That's what we're after today. And we see in the verses before us that God deals with hardened hearts in six ways. There are six ways in our passage today that describe how God deals with hardened hearts. And the first way that God deals with hardened hearts is according to his patience. God displays his patience with hard hearts uh, uh, through repeated warnings. But as we just read in Romans 1, And as we see in Pharaoh in Exodus, and as we've seen uh, with Israel throughout the Old Testament scriptures, and as we've just seen, as we will see in verse 1 of our passage, God's patience can be exhausted. Uh, John sees in verse 1, I'll read it again, it says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Another sign in heaven, uh, another event with a special, unusual, or miraculous meaning. John sees here in the beginning of of chapter 15 another series of seven things. Uh, This will be the fifth out of seven that God has revealed to him. Uh, To begin with, John recorded Christ's letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, and then next he saw Jesus the lamb open seven seals on the scroll of God's plan for history. And then next John saw or heard seven trumpets, seven warnings, seven judgments that are sent on the world of of unbelievers. And then John was taken behind the curtain of history and shown the major characters involved in all of these events. He was given uh, seven visions of the Holy War, the battle that takes place between the time of Christ's first coming and his second coming. And now John sees yet another series of seven, and he describes them in verse 1 as seven angels with seven plagues. We Uh, usually associate the word plague with things like Ebola or smallpox and perhaps COVID-19 as Pastor Brian mentioned. But the term that John uses is a lot broader than that. It literally refers to a physical blow, uh, a wound, um, uh, a misfortune even. It could include sicknesses and diseases like COVID 19 and others, but it's not confined to those things. The main thing you need to see, we need to see with regard to these seven wounds or misfortunes, is that they are the last. Look at verse 1 again. Um, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. What does John mean by the last? Some, as I've mentioned, see the book of Revelation as a single timeline uh, from uh, the first coming of Christ all the way through uh, to Christ's return, just one long timeline, and so they uh, they would suggest that these seven blows, seven wounds, seven bowls, seven plagues occurred near the end of that long timeline. That, that That's what John's, John means by these are the last. They come towards the very end. But these seven judgments are not the final display of God's wrath. Because beyond chapter 15, we see it poured out again in chapter 19 at the return of Christ. And yet again, in chapter 21, at the great white throne, judgment last then must not mean final seven blows, final plagues, final wounds. There are more to come after this. Others suggest that last means that these are God's most intense judgments on the world of believers. Believers. Uh, The most intense judgments on those with hardened hearts last in that sense. That once they reach this point, there's no longer a place for repentance. This is probably how John's using the word last. One, One scholar says, whenever in history the wicked fail to repent in answer to the initial and partial manifestation of God's anger and judgments, the final outpouring of wrath follows. It is final, though not complete, until the judgment day. These plagues are the last. They leave no more opportunity for repentance. And so the idea is that there are those who have ignored the initial and repeated warnings, warnings that come through the seven seals that were opened by Christ. Hardened in their unbelief, they continue in sin and and they further ignore the more intense warnings of the seven trumpets. They refuse to repent. Uh, chapter 9 describes them this way, listen, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, that is the trumpets, did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Having ignored the seals, having ignored the trumpets, and with his patience now exhausted, God leaves them, abandons them to their sin. Unbelievers that have continued to harden their hearts against God's repeated warnings reach the point, just as Pharaoh did in Exodus, where God abandons them to their sin and hardens their hearts. This is what we just read in Romans 1. Very sobering idea. Listen to those verses we just read a moment ago from... uh, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. Listen for the phrase, gave them up. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up. Because unbelievers ignore God's warnings in the seven seals. And again, the seals are things that take place in this age. And the more intense warnings of the trumpet judgments, which also take place in this age, because of their hard hearts, they exhaust the patience of God and experience his abandonment unto their sin and these final wounds of the bold judgments. According to the Chicago Tribune on May 17, 1987, an Iraqi F-1 Mirage aircraft fired two Exocet missiles at the Navy frigate USS Stark, which was patrolling in the Persian Gulf. The Stark was equipped with radar systems to detect such missiles in the air. In the nerve center of the ship was the electronic warfare operator, a man who monitored these systems. If a missile was fired at the ship, he would be warned in two ways. An audible alarm would sound and a visual symbol would appear on the radar screen. Nevertheless, without warning, the Exocet missile slammed into the side of the USS Stark, just above the waterline, tearing a 10-foot hole in the ship and killing 37 American sailors. To learn what went wrong, the House Armed Services Committee launched an official investigation. After visiting the ship and talking to the crew, they reported that the tragedy had probably not resulted from equipment failure. Rather, the cause was human error or admission on the part of several people. One was the electronic warfare operator in the ship's nerve center. The report said the operator indicated that he had turned off the audible alarm feature because too many signals were being received that were setting off the alarm, requiring actions that distracted him from performing other signal analysis. And then with the audible alarm off, according to the investigators, this same man may have been distracted at the time when the visual signals appeared on the radar screen. Warning signals are usually an irritating interruption, but we turn them off at our own peril. And those with hardened hearts continue to ignore the warning signals of the coming storm and exhaust the patience of God. So the first way that God deals with hardened hearts is according to his patience. God displays his patience with hard hearts through repeated warnings of the sealed judgments and of the seven trumpets, but if his repeating warnings go ignored, unbelievers are abandoned to the wrath of his bold judgments. Now John's going to go on to explain these bold judgments further, but first he, he describes the church triumphant in verses 2 through 4. These verses to describe the redeemed in the presence of God after the last day these verses 2 through 4 actually describe the conclusion of the holy war and we studied verses 2 through 4 2 weeks ago as the conclusion of the holy war but but then down in verse 5 John resumes his thought and continues to describe the bowls further Uh, This is the second way that we see God dealing with hardened hearts in verse 5, and that is according to his word. Uh, God deals with hardened hearts according to his word. Unbelievers are judged according to the standard of God's law found in the Bible. Look at verse 5 of chapter 15. after this I looked in the sanctuary of the tent or tabernacle, of witness in heaven was opened. Here, John sees uh, the heavenly version of the tent or the tabernacle opened before him in heaven. The earthly tabernacle uh, used by Israel in the Old Testament uh, is referred to as a copy and shadow of the heavenly version in Hebrews 8 5. John sees the heavenly version of this tabernacle here in verse 5, of which this earthly tabernacle behind me was a copy. And look at how the heavenly tabernacle, or tent, is described here in verse 5. It's called the tent of witness, the tabernacle of witness, or the tabernacle of the testimony. Witness and testimony are are both references to the Ten Commandments. The two stone tablets, they were also known as the tablets of the testimony. These two tablets were kept inside uh, the tabernacle, uh, located in the Ark of the Covenant back here in this portion uh, called the Sanctuary uh, or the Holy of Holies. In the heavenly version, uh, John describes in verse 5, this is all open to him, and he can see all the way into the heavenly version of this sanctuary. Boy, <clears throat> I haven't even gotten going yet. <clears throat> so um, the, the, the testimony uh, is kept inside the sanctuary, inside the Ark of the Covenant. And John is telling us here that the place where God's moral law was kept inside the Ark of the Covenant, located in the sanctuary, had been opened in heaven to testify and witness against unbelievers. Their lives would be held up and measured against the perfect standard of God's righteousness, the perfect standard of his law, those with hardened hearts would be judged according to the standard of his word. Now we know, of course, that no one can measure up to the standard of his word because Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 3 also tells us, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Hardened hearts will be held up, measured against the law of God held in the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the, the two testimonies, the two tablets of, of testimony. Not only did the Ark of the Covenant contain God's law, it was also the place where sinners received mercy. Uh, once a year, the high priest would enter uh, this inner sanctuary on the day of atonement. Here's our high priest right here, and he would uh, put all incense on the altar so that he could not see behind this. He would enter through this curtain once a year and sprinkle the blood of a sacrificed animal on top of the Ark of the Covenant. This is also referred to as the mercy seat. Uh, he would sprinkle it up there once a year, and that would cover Israel's sins for the previous year. The Bible tells us Christ did something similar. The book of Hebrews describes that he entered the heavenly uh, sanctuary and presented the blood of his sacrifice before the Father to to, to atone for our sins. Hebrews 9 uh, describes it like this. It says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, that is, the earthly tabernacle, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He has appeared, no, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages uh, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. But those with hardened hearts have not turned to Christ for mercy. They've not trusted in his atoning sacrifice on the cross as the payment for their sins. And because they've hardened their hearts and rejected Christ's payment for sin, they will be judged according to the perfect standard of God's law and fall short. Uh, The growth chart in Jordan's room had slipped from the wall. The tape on its corners had become brittle and And so Jordan hung it up again, trying to get it straight, and he stood his little sister against the wall to measure how high she was and cried out to his mom, Mom, Annie's 40 inches tall, he shouted as he burst into the kitchen. I measured her. His mom replied, that's impossible, sweetheart. She's only three. Let's go see. And they walked back to the playroom where the mother's suspicions were confirmed despite his... Best efforts to hang the chart straight Jordan had failed to set it at the proper height. It was several inches too low. When we measure ourselves by our own standard or by the standard of the world around us, we always measure up. But when we measure ourselves against the standard of God's word, we consistently fall short. It's by the standard of this word, his perfect righteous law that the hard-hearted will be measured. God deals with the hard-hearted secondly according to his word. Unbelievers are judged according to it, the standard of his law found in Scripture. Well, John's vision of the heavenly tabernacle continues and we see the third way that God deals with hardened hearts is according to his righteousness. The third way that God deals with hardened hearts is according to his righteousness. The the sentence that unbelievers received in the seven bold judgments uh, that come in chapter 16, that sentence is completely and perfectly just. Look at verse 6 in chapter 15. And out of the sanctuary, out of that heavenly tabernacle, uh, came... The seven angels with the seven plagues, or seven blows, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. Notice how they're described here in verse 6, clothed in pure bright linen. Uh, and this is a, this portrays uh, their utter perfection and, and holiness uh, before the Lord and their golden sashes uh, reveal the dignity and authority they possess. They're clothed as nobles or, or perhaps even kings. And, and this describes or pictures the sacred na- nature of the duty God's called them to carry out. Listen to Dr. Joel Beeky comment on their clothing. He says, the entire picture speaks about the purity, beauty, an imperishable worth of God's absolute righteousness. Another scholar says the appearance of the angels symbolizes their spotlessness. It emphasizes the purity from which the wrath is poured out on the world. This is no cruel thing, evil with passion. It's a pure concern for the right. And we see this confirmed as we get into the bold judgments. Glance down into the next chapter. Uh, at verse 4. Look at what it says there. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they've shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the almighty True and just are your judgments. God deals with hardened hearts, hearts that refuse to acknowledge and repent from his warnings. He deals with them according to his righteousness. He sentences unbelievers uh, according to his judgments that are completely and perfectly just. We see a fourth way that God deals with the hard-hearted next. He deals with them according to the prayers of his people. Uh, God pours out his judgment on unbelievers in answer to his people's prayers. We see this in verse 7. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The four living creatures, we first uh, saw them uh, back in chapter 4. I want you to hear again this description of the living creatures from chapter 4. Let me read a few verses beginning in verse 6 of that chapter. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind, The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes around and within and day and night, and they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come it's likely that these four living creatures are a special class of uh, angel, uh, a special class of ministering spirits. They're very much like Isaiah's angels. In Isaiah chapter 6, they have six wings like Isaiah's vision. They sing the same song as the seraphim in in Isaiah chapter 6. It seems that these uh, four living creatures in verse 6 are given special uh, duties to help unfold God's revelation. One of these four living creatures presents the seven angels with golden bowls full of God's wrath. This is not the kind of bowl that you and I think of, a deep bowl, the kind you put your breakfast cereal in. These are bowls more like flat pans or saucers. They were used in the temple, the tabernacle that I showed you a few moments ago for holding incense. In fact, we find these bowls uh, used for this very purpose back in chapter 5. And let me put this up for you. And when he, that is Jesus, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, here again, the four living creatures, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. These golden bowls full of incense are most likely the same that we're reading about here. In verse 7, golden bowls full of the wrath of God, there's a connection here that John wants us to make, and the connection that he wants us to make is that the prayers of the saints, the incense, is instrumental in bringing about the return of Christ in God's final judgment on Satan's kingdom. It seems Uh, there's a consistent opinion that these bowls represent the prayers of God's people. One scholar says, more than once, John brings out the thought that the prayers of God's people, which seem so insignificant to us, are important. They may initiate great divine judgments. They have their part in bringing about the final state of affairs. Years ago, Christianity Today magazine reported that local officials in a southern Ethiopian town had illegally confiscated money, lumber, and corrugated metal roofing from a congregation. The congregation had collected them for a new church building. The elders of the church uh, considered going to the authorities, but since they were the authorities that took them, They decided not to go to court, and instead they resorted to prayer. One mission agency reports that shortly after they resorted to prayer, an epidemic of dysentery struck the community. The local officials concluded that they were the objects of divine retribution. Uh, they met with the elders. They asked forgiveness and returned all confiscated property and requested the church to pray that God would end the epidemic. Uh, prayer for local leaders became a weekly practice of the congregation. Well, the prayers of God's people can not only bring about a change of heart from government officials, it's also instrumental according to verse 7 and other places that we've already looked at, that the saints' prayers are instrumental in hastening the return of Christ and the downfall of Satan's kingdom. And so we sing, even so, come Lord Jesus, because those prayers matter and are instrumental in bringing about Christ's return. God pours out his judgment on unbelievers, on the hard-hearted, in answer to his people's prayer. This is the fourth way that he deals with those with hardened hearts. There's a fifth way we see. The fifth way that God deals with hardened hearts is according to his glory. Glory. God dispenses his judgment on the hard-hearted to glorify his great name. Look at verse 8 with me now. It says, In the sanctuary, still up in the heavenly copy of the tabernacle, and here in in particular the, the inner portion of the holy of holies, the sanctuary, and the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. The smoke Filling the sanctuary here in verse 8 seems to be an expression of the holy anger of God. When God moves to act against David's enemies, he records in Psalm 18.8, Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. Something similar happens in the book of Ezekiel. A smoke fills the inner court of the temple as God prepares to to judge the nation of Israel for their idolatry. And then another place where Isaiah 6, uh, in the temple of, of Isaiah's vision, a passage you're familiar with, says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who was... who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Another announcement of of God's judgment on unbelieving Israel. But what's unusual here is, in these examples as well as verse 8, is all three connect the expression of God's holy and righteous anger at sin with His glory, God's holy anger at sin is part of His glory. He pours out His righteous anger and judgment not because He takes pleasure in putting wicked people to death. He pours out His righteous anger and judgment to bring honor and glory and fame to Himself because He alone is God. He pours out His wrath on hardened hearts to demonstrate that their idols are false and that He alone is God and that He alone is worthy of all worship and devotion. This is one way God expresses His glory. We typically don't think of of His righteous anger, his, His wrath, if you will as an expression of his glory. Listen to the prophet Ezekiel describe it for us. As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? So when the wicked when those with hardened hearts refuse to heed his warnings, when things in the sealed judgments take place, when COVID-19 hits, he deals with the hard-hearted according to his glory. He honors his great and glorious name by the outpouring of his holy and righteous anger at sin. This is the fifth way that God deals with the hard-hearted according to His glory. And there's one more to see in our passage. And finally, the sixth way that He deals with the hard-hearted is according to His mercy. Ah, And His great mercy. In His great mercy. Oh, don't miss this. In his great mercy, he has sent warning after warning after warning uh, to those with hardened hearts. He's opened the seven seals. And further, he's intensified those warnings in the seven trumpets. Uh, God has warned hardened sinners to turn from their sin and live. To turn from sin to trust in the payment that Jesus His Son has made on the cross? But here at the end of verse 8, we see that the day of His mercy is past. And the day of His judgment has come. Look at the middle of verse 8 with me. And no one, could enter the sanctuary. Again, that's the heavenly tabernacle, the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, the place where Christ had sprinkled his blood before the Father to uh, pay for our sin. No one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Because of the outpouring of God's glorious anger at sin no one can enter the sanctuary no one has access to the ark of the covenant the place where Christ poured out his blood to pay for sin the time of mercy has come to a close I can't think of anything more dreadful than this I cannot imagine anything more dreadful than this. That someone who has persisted in sin for so long, that someone who has rejected Christ over and over, that someone has ignored the urgent appeals of those around him or her to turn from their sin and trust in the atoning death of Christ on the cross, Nothing more dreadful than that person finally discovering that he or she has rejected mercy for so long that the way of mercy has been closed to him. That she is shut out from access to mercy for his or her sins. Listen to this comment. The fierceness of God's wrath is so intense that no creature can enter his presence. The time of offering prayers and petitions for mercy is past, for the hour of judgment has come. No one may enter the inner sanctuary until the bowls of wrath have been poured out and the destruction of the wicked has been completed. For God's mercy is forgotten, his compassion withheld, and his patience suspended. And this is why the word of God is, says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness this is why the word of god says in a favorable time i listen to you and in a day of salvation i have helped you behold now is the favorable time behold now is the day of salvation. God's word says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And so if you're listening to me with a hard heart this morning, cry out to God that he would soften your heart. That he would make you willing and able to trust in Jesus' payment for sin on the cross. Ask him to take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh so that you can turn away from your sin of unbelief and turn toward His Son, Jesus. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near, and while you still have access to His mercy. Today, today, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. For some of you, this might be the day of salvation. You that have resisted Christ, For so long, you who have said no to your parents, no to your pastors, no to your Sunday school teachers. I'll get to it later. Today is the day of salvation uh, because the time when God's mercy is available is not infinite. No one could enter the sanctuary. Until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. God deals with hardened hearts according to his mercy. In his mercy, he warns. He warns. But one day, according to verse eight, the day the way of mercy will be closed. There's another kind of storm coming. One that is a lot different from the great New England hurricane of 1938. How does God deal with hearts that ignore His storm warnings? How does God deal with those that ignore the warnings of His coming judgment? How does God deal with hearts like pharaohs in the book of Exodus? Hearts that refuse to turn from their sin to trust in Christ. How does God deal with these hardened hearts? He deals with them in six ways. He deals with them according to his patience. God displays his patience through repeated warnings. But his patience can be exhausted. God deals with them according to his word. Unbelievers are judged according to not their standard, but God's perfect standard found in his word. God deals with hardened hearts according to his righteousness. The The sentence that a hardened sinner will receive in the bold judgments is perfectly just, completely just. Uh, he deals with them according to the prayers of his people. God pours out these bold judgments in answer to his people's prayers. He deals with hardened hearts according to his glory. His, God honors his great name by, outpour, by, by the outpouring of his holy and righteous anger at sin. And lastly, God deals with hardened hearts according to his mercy. Again, in great mercy, he's warned those with hardened hearts. But one day, that way will be closed. It's really a dreadful passage. And so I plead with you today, if you've been resisting the call of Christ, to turn from your sin to trust in His atoning death on the cross. And for those of you who have trusted in Christ, I hope you too feel that this is really a dreadful passage. And that you would think about those in your family who don't know Christ as their Savior and Lord. And that you think about the person who lives next to you who doesn't know Christ as their Savior and Lord. And that you think of your coworker down the hall who doesn't know Christ as his Savior and Lord. And that you begin to pray for them. That you begin to ask God to soften their hearts. That you ask God to give you the opportunity to speak and to share the truth about Jesus Christ and his payment for sin on the cross. Because yes, this is a dreadful passage. And there is nothing worse then that person finally, oh, he's waited so long, finding that there is no room for repentance. So, God, work through us as a church family to share the good news about Jesus Christ and his payment for sin. Help us to be faithful to witness the good news to those in our family. And to those in our neighborhood and at work, and those in our circle of friendships, and Lord, we pray that you would grow and expand your kingdom through our witness. And Father, for anyone here who may have a hardened heart toward you, would you speak Spirit, pour yourself out on them and give them a heart of flesh so they can turn to you in repentance and faith and do it today, today the day of salvation. God, this, do this work among us, among your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.